I got to make sure I do the pause. So for the delay, welcome everybody to this week's uh, podcast, the uh, 4.0 Solutions Industry 4.0 podcast for uh, Tuesday, June 14th, 2022. Uh, Co-host this week is Kevin Jones from Ectobox. Kevin, welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate, appreciate you jumping on, man. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, Kevin, today is going to be talking about, uh, you know, the journey to becoming an industry 4.0 systems integrator um, or finding one. <laughs> um, so after announcements and stuff, we'll we'll have Kevin tell us about his journey. He's been uh, in part of the industry 4.0 community since the very beginning, right? Um, like literally the beginning, right? September 2020 or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um mentorship mastermind the whole deal you and i have talked a million times and uh your your journey is sort of the prototype your company's journey is sort of the prototype for the systems integrator so uh i think it'll be a very good discussion to have yeah um, i'm looking forward to being an example <laughs> for better or for worse <laughs> looking forward to being an example rocking um all right quick quick announcements um Monthly mentorship call. So we had our our, month, our mentorship call last <clears throat> Friday. The next one is July 8th at 9 o'clock. Um, we are tentatively, I'm uh, the advisory board asked me to put together the plan for mentorship and mastermind through September, which I have. But the problem is I might be changing what we do next month because uh, there's been a request that we do self-aware SCADA using perspective in ignition. And I'm trying to see if I can put together that lesson between now and July 8th. So probably know by uh, end of this week, uh, beginning of next week, whether we can do that. Otherwise, we will continue the AI ML lessons, but we may may pivot and do that perspective self-aware because there's been a bunch of requests from the community to do that. Um, monthly mastermind call every third Friday. Our next one is this Friday, um, uh, eight to ten thirty. We are, we will be going over <clears throat> artificial intelligence and machine learning. We're going to be talking about uh, how to pick your use cases and what does um, you know defining a hypothesis, testing that hypothesis after acquiring data, and um, you know how do you pick an algorithm? Um, how do you manage the engineers, the data scientists who are trying to test the hypothesis. We're going to be talking about that this Friday. So um, advisory board, remember that meeting is every month. Um, the first Friday of the month is the subcommittee meeting. So next month in July, that'll be July 1st. And then the following Wednesday, we'll have our board meeting. So the next time the advisory board will give feedback to us on content, um, et cetera, will be July 6th. Okay. Uh, for those of you who are in pharmaceutical and life sciences industry. Um, I'm going to be speaking on June 16th this week, um, this Thursday, two days from now. Um, I'm going to be speaking at the CXV Global Pharma Line Clearance Collaboration Forum. That's a mouthful. Um, it's an online event this Thursday at the 16th. It's at 3 o'clock Dublin time, 4 p.m. Berlin, 10 a.m. New York time. Um, in a nutshell, I'm going to be giving... Um, a talk on the unified namespace for life, life sciences, digital transformation for life sciences, um, focused um, on the EU. So CXV Global um, asked us to, if I'd be willing to speak uh, on that event, uh, 
I think John McKeon from GIS will actually be at the event. I can't remember if he's actually going to be there, but um, I'll be mentioning John um, during that session. But if you guys want to jo- um, sign up, which it is, um, it, I'm pretty sure it's free. Uh, the Josh should have dropped the link in the chat. I've signed up. It's going to be a good one. I'm looking forward right. to it. Awesome. And uh, I'm sure Paulo Sullivan will be uh, Paulo, right? Skellig. So Paulo Sullivan and the team from Skellig Automation, those guys are in the Hudson Valley, but Paul's originally in, in, in an Irishman. Um, they still do a ton of life sciences work in the EU. Uh, Skellig is going to be part of the, the event as well. And then the last thing is, um, I, I forgot to mention this before, but uh, I got, I got an email or a, mess, you know, a direct message from somebody saying, hey, uh, you know, this guy, Pete LaRochelle, did a, you know, did a blog post and he uh, mentioned you guys in it about the unified namespace. And, um, and then I got this girl, Sarah DeSantis, tagged me on Twitter or tagged our IntelliC feed on Twitter um, from a company called Neomatrix, which I think is in Massachusetts. They're a systems integrator. And the tweet was this, the unified namespace is one of the hottest trending topics in industry 4.0. And our own Pete LaRochelle presented the topic to UMass Amherst engineering students through inductive automations, university engagement program. And they linked the blog post in there from Pete LaRochelle. Pete is a member of our community. I'm actually going to drop this in the chat real quick. Hopefully it's not too long. Uh, Richard Shaw, I'm actually going to be following up on your question from, uh, I answered your question a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to be following up on your question again today. Welcome to see you, dude. Um, so this is what Pete LaRochelle said. I'm not going to, I put the link in there so you guys can read the whole blog post. If you guys are thinking about doing a presentation, um, on the unified namespace. So like what's happening now is all these you know, you got Kevin Jones, like Kevin has created, and he'll talk about this, I'm sure, but Ectobox has created this mini DTMA scoring thing, a self, a self-evaluation thing. Um, you know, what Pete, Pete did at U, uh, um, UMass Amherst, uh, what's, you know, what Michael Brown did at IoT Meetup. What's happening is, is this community, you know, this, these thousands of people that are in this community that we're all a part of, like-minded thinkers using common strategy, common technology, approaching problems from the same direction, technology-centric, as opposed to trying to buy something off the shelf, solution off the shelf. This is sort of, it's it's expanding. I mean, literally in real time, we're getting a chance to watch it proliferate around the world in real time. And it's just this phenomenal, you know, this, un, I was in a frameworks training this morning Right. And uh, Tatsoft is doing frameworks training today, tomorrow and Thursday. And myself, Patrick, and there were a ton of people in there. They said it was the most people they've ever had in a training session. Hmm. And they're doing four hours each morning today, tomorrow, Thursday. And it was amazing to me. There were multiple people in there from like the Penn State system. So you had Jeff Rankinen, who was obviously a member of our community. He was in there. But there was another guy's guy. I think his name was Vincent something. He was from Penn State Kensington. There were multiple members from the from the university system that are going through all this training and the common denominator is this community that's been created right it was when i spoke at iot texas you would not believe i bet you half the room 
were people from local universities, from UT Dallas, from Tyler, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, you know, students. It was, it was amazing the total number of people that were coming from academia who are adopting this technology-driven approach. And I want to read the beginning of Pete's blog post here. Um, so it was from May 18th, 2022. And then, um, but he said, the fourth industrial revolution is here and reshaping the plant floor through digital transformation. Access to real-time data, cloud computing, and machine learning are the driving forces behind Industry 4.0. I subscribe to IIoT.University, created by Walker Reynolds and Zach Scriven from 4.0 Solutions, and I learned quite a bit about their philosophy on digital transformation and achieving that through a tool called the Unified Namespace. The only thing I would change is through an architecture called the Unified Namespace. The UNS has become such a hot topic that when UMass Amherst professor Jim LeGrant asked Neomatrix through our partnership, Neomatrix through our partnership with Inductive Automation and their university engagement program to speak about edge, cloud, and the direction of the industry, I decided to focus on unified namespace and digital transformation. And if you go through the rest of the blog post, okay, if you go through, he lays the foundation for introducing technology-driven digital transformation architectures. He goes through the how to introduce the unified namespace, and then he actually walks through the demo he did with these students. So he talks about what is a unified namespace, how does it work. But the really cool thing is when he talks about um, when the light bulb turned on, he says each student at the very bottom, he says that each student started the exercise by simulating some data and publishing it to a unique location in the UNS broker, right? He says the aha moment arrived for these students in the second step when the students, when the students subscribed to the information in the broker and all of the data from each student was available to them immediately. This exercise gave them a better understanding of the UNS MQTT central repository architecture and the exchange of industrial data and the nimbleness of integrations. So if anybody, if you're, if you're looking for help in making, you know, introducing people to, to this architecture and you want to demonstrate to them what the UNS is and what's the most effective strategy for digitally transforming an organization, Pete's blog post is a great place to start as step one. So anyway, I want to give a big shout out to Pete, Neomatrix, phenomenal job, guys. Very similar on par with the stuff that Kevin is doing at Ectobox. Actually, yeah, I would say, Kevin, you're probably doing more than you and Dave Schultz are probably doing more than anybody else as it relates to these strategies. Um, and with that, we'll segue over to the Do you mind to make a couple comments based on the, the UNS and the universities and all Absolutely, that? Absolutely, man. Please. <clears throat> like, uh, the for Penn State uh, and the other academic institutions getting into this, uh, uh, it's this community that's really growing that. Uh, as an example, Penn State, New Kensington, we are located, I live, I don't know, maybe seven miles from that campus. Uh, and we've gotten into the Digital Foundry and, and Vince uh, Petrelli is the guy you're thinking about where Damn. we built our, our MES in a box, if you will, or MES Lite tool using Factory Studio, put it in place, demoed it there, help them further the objectives of, you know, smart manufacturing, just 4.0, et cetera, et cetera, through this organization, which is part of this branch campus. But then, uh, so it's it's people like uh, like us in this community that not only talk with manufacturers, but are open to spending some time, you know, it's not always profitable, but spending some time with universities and other places 
to talk with him uh, about these ideas and then their heads explode. Uh, uh, and that's what's happening with Vince. He's into the classes now. Okay, let's what, what's Factory Studio? What's Tatsoft? What's UNS? Uh, uh, and then we ended up, uh, I did a presentation. So I was at a trade show last week, did a presentation there, and then another one at a plax, plastics conference at the Barrand campus of Penn State, which is in Erie, Pennsylvania, just up the northwest part of Pennsylvania. Talk with one of their guys up there that's teaching plastics, all the special work you can do within plastics and <clears throat> his head is now starting i don't want to say it's exploding but you know the light bulbs are going off over the top of his head uh, uh and he's really starting to get it too and so all you have to do is explain some of these concepts uh, uh and then they really just run with it and it even goes back to two years ago one of the uh, companies we talked with about this kind of stuff there in akron ohio uh, explained all this kind of stuff and essentially got to the topic of unified namespace and he said, yes, I want that. And that's almost literally what he said. Like, it makes sense. When you explain it to people, it makes sense. And it just kind of goes from there. And, uh, you know, why do you think, well, I have theories on why, I don't know. To me, it's always seemed so obvious, right, that this is the ideal architecture, right, or at least something like it. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that there's been a, um, why does it take, a community like ours to demonstrate the capability before you know, why aren't people naturally getting to this I, architecture on their own it's based on the historical progression of, of technology through history uh it was accessible until the people who could afford it spend tons and tons of time to do it and then they would create these proprietary solutions i mean you know this preaching yeah. to the preacher preaching to the pope maybe <laughs> uh where uh, they create these proprietary solutions. They want to lock in, make lots of money. They did. They still are. Uh, uh, and then people get used to these uh, solutions. Uh, and then a lot of other companies come out with their own smaller solutions, and they end up being point solutions. They end up being silos, and they don't really think about integrations. Yep. And then ERP companies follow the same kind of path. And I talk about this a lot today. Like, <clears throat> and I think you say this sometimes as well. For manufacturers that we work with, ERPs at the center of the world for them shouldn't yeah. necessarily need to be that way it, you know that should be pushed off to the side as a node in the iot ecosystem or iot ecosystem etc cetera, etc cetera. um but they're just not used to that idea because of what they've been exposed to over time big monolithic solutions and then now uh, uh technology progression lowering barrier of entry now we can you know smaller guys and people can create their own point solutions but still it'll solve this particular problem Nobody really thinks about connecting the systems. And it's really been IoT, the Internet of Things, and then uh, driving that idea even further, I think, uh, that has really opened people's eyes to say, oh, yeah, we don't have to take that guff from that big company and we can create our own things and use these open technology solutions and put them all together and select the tools, the right tool for the right job and all that. It's, you know. That's I think it, I've always found that it's like the moment they realize it's possible. It's like, I think the, my son Hayden talks about the, what is it? The, the great barrier, you know, they're, they're this theory of the great barrier and you know, why is it, um, you know, hum, humanities, what the way humanity thinks and, and how much we can understand the universe is limited by this, this, uh, great barrier, this artificial barrier in, 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 uh, in space time, right? He talks about this concept all the time. 
what I find is that one people, once people realize that common technology can piece all the smart things in their business together, once they realize that's possible, mm-hmm. then they see, then it, it be, it's almost as if the veil gets pulled off, pulled off over their eyes. I think we're, they've, everyone's become so accustomed to linear point-to-point proprietary integration. They become so accustomed to it that when they realize, wait a minute, like I, w- I was describing Canary Labs this morning and, in the factory studio training. And uh, Phil was talking about, you know, because Canary Labs gets packaged in frameworks, right? Yep. And th- they wanted us to describe Canary Labs. And I said, well, Canary Labs is connects to the outside or provides historical data in three ways, right? The first way is through the Canary Labs stack, right? The historian itself, and then it's it's API, and then Axiom, which is the way you can build trends and dashboards and all stuff. So you've got the Canary Labs solution, right? The second way that you can leverage Canary Labs as your historian is through the .NET API, right? So through native.NET, which is what Canary is built in, you can extract that historical data with any .NET application, and you can do amazing things with it. And then the third way is pure open architecture, right? MQTT, OPC HDA, et cetera, et cetera, where anything that supports that open technology can leverage Canary Lab's value as a historian. The the fundamental difference between, say, OSI Pi Canary Labs is that OSI Pi creates a partner ecosystem and yeah. says the only people we're going to, the only other applications we're going to allow to interoperate with our historian are the ones we approve, right? Whereas Canary says we're going to allow any open technology who support any, any solution that supports enter in MQTT, whatever, this open technology, will be able to extract the value from our historian. And when you say that, the first thing anyone, the first question anyone says is, well, why doesn't OSI Pi do it that way? Right? That's, that'll be the first thing they say. Well, the answer will be, well, OSI Pi is preying on the ignorance of the customer, right? So they'll tell you, and, and I don't want to, and I don't think they're sinister. I think it's just a business, you know, it's a business focus, right? They, shareholders. Yeah. Right. They just they're they're answering to the shareholders and they they say we're gonna we can make more money by steering towards approved vendors as opposed to at the end of the day, I think it's beyond argument that what's best for the customer, what's best for the industry is to be open. I mean, there's no, I don't think there's any question, right? Right. So anyway, let me so you've you've made a huge step. In the, oh, actually, I want to say one last thing. Uh, Penn State Kensington. Yeah. So one of the things I realized about when Vince mentioned Penn State Kensington. So everyone may, may not. We have a foundation in my mom's name, the, uh, the Bonnie Mae Austin Foundation, right? And, and the whole purpose of the foundation is to raise money for kids who are the victims of domestic violence. So like me, my mom got murdered. My stepdad's the one who murdered her. So he went to prison and she died and I got adopted. And the, there are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of kids like that. And so the Bonnie Mae Austin Foundation is all about helping to support those kids all the way through college, you know, and our very first scholarship student who started last year yep. is at Penn State Kensington. New, Ke- New Kensington. Yeah, New Kensington. Yes. She, that was our very first, the very first kid that we ever 
gave a scholarship to. She goes to Penn State, uh, awesome. State New Kensington. So when he said that, I was like, oh, that's awesome. So <laughs> anyway, let's go back to Ectobox. So you, you've made a huge jump. Like in the last two years, you know, I've had a chance to watch Ectobox go from a mostly product company to product integrator company, right? Or, or at least product product founder, right? You're a guy who, who your expertise is in products and move towards integration, right? I had an operate the opportunity to watch that transformation. Mm-hmm. We started off doing custom software development and quite honestly, custom software development for anybody. That's how I started and founded the company. The first project I worked on was for the Pittsburgh Symphony, <clears throat> creating a software to track uh, the pay for musicians. And I had to go through the union rule book for the musicians and you could get docked if you showed up for rehearsal late and somebody had to have some software, put that down and then it showed up in the pay and, <clears throat> and went from there. And then eventually started to work a lot for, for manufacturers, uh, creating ECN applications and some very basic ERP applications and some other things back in the day. Uh, and, and then we progressed more towards well, this IoT thing is really interesting. Let's pull data from the machines. And uh, not too long after that, we realized the data from the machines is valuable, but it's not that valuable. Uh, let's add some context to it. And then it just kind of went from there. How did uh, you go from symphony to industry? To manufacturing? Maybe? Yeah. How, yeah. How did you go from, you know, um, musicians to manufacturing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of manufacturing in our area. We're in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, southwestern Pennsylvania, uh, old steel days, a lot of companies left over from steel here, uh, a lot of precision metal, a lot of job shops, and you know, go to Erie, Pennsylvania is not too far away, a lot of plastics up there, powdered metal in St. Mary's, uh, Pennsylvania, near the center of the state, <clears throat> Cleveland, only two, two and a half hour drive, tons and tons of manufacturing there. So it, it was a, a market that we recognized as a place to focus, to niche down. And uh, so we realized, I guess, really, it started with, we need a niche. Uh, and manufacturing was really interesting, because I've always loved to understand how things are made and how things are work. As a kid, I would, I, you know, I remember pulling a clock, my radio alarm clock, how does this thing work? And what goes on? And you know, that kind of thing. Uh, uh, and I'm blessed to have been able to see how Yeti coolers are made and how Q-tips, like the ear things, you know, are, are made, and how hip pl- uh, hip replacement joints are made, and uh, naval ship destroyer drive shafts are made. It's like it's it's just outrageous. It's so cool. Um, so the transition was identifying a market that's in our area where there's a lot of really interesting stuff. Identifying IoT, connecting the machines, then realizing there's more value with the data uh, uh, in the data by adding context to it. And then it just kind of went from there. And then eventually we connected with you. And I mean, it's just been now we're into a a virtual hockey stick. So I had like five questions, right? So I had, what were you doing before you shifted to industry 4.0? And it sounds like software. And then you, you found this niche in manufacturing, right? And then when you, when you decided to shift to industry 4.0, the question was, why did you even bother to shift? And it sounds like you were born this way. Right. You you want to know how things work and there's an opportunity to. Right. Well, we kind of in a very short period of time went through the same mental process that a lot of manufacturers are going through now. Oh, there's these. Well, 
I'll, I'll just be transparent. Uh, so we looked at a lot of the products that were out there. We became a partner with PTC on the ThingWorks platform. Uh, uh, Rick Bellotta, wicked, wicked smart guy. Yep. The product in PTC, uh, it was a hard sell. It was really hard to sell to manufacturers. We did really well with the product and implementing it and customizing, you know, creating solutions with it, but it was a hard sell. Uh, uh, and there are some hard won lessons in that whole process. And we uh, were now a partner only on the uh, the Kepler product because that product works well. We like it a lot. So I, I got I into say, point solutions, but then, you know, again, we went through the same process. The PTC thing works thing. I, the, I've, I think I've told this story before, but um, it, I have always, when PTC did the Kepler acquisition, I had been playing with P with ThingWorks for about a year before the Kepler acquisition, which I think was in maybe 2017, mm -hmm. 16, 17, something like that, right? And so PTC, we were working with a really large client actually in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, cool. And um, and they they were huge. They were the largest, uh, you know, the largest company in their industry in the whole planet. And they had just partnered with PTC on ThingWorks and they were going to use ThingWorks primary as their dashboarding tool. Mm -hmm. So if, and by the way, I, I don't dislike ThingWorks. I, as long as I, I, I think as long as you use ThingWorks where it's best, then, you know, you treat it as a node and ecosystem and use it where it's best. In my opinion, yes. dashboarding is what PTC is good at. Don't try to do other things with it. Mm -hmm. Just try to visualize things with ThingWorks. Don't try to do big analytics or anything like that. Yep. They created, they created, ThingWorks created this other product called manufacturing apps around the time. I don't know if you ever saw it. Did you? Oh, yeah. We played with them. We worked with them, tried to sell them, et cetera. Yeah. So one of the, the manufacturing apps was broken up into three components. And I can't remember what they're all called now, but one of them was like production manager or something, yeah. right? right? Production manager. And and they this big customer in Harrisburg, had. I was the architect, and they and we, we had a MES system there. And they came to us and they said, PTC is really pushing this manufacturing apps thing. I need you to tell us why not to use it. And I said, okay, I'll take a look at it. So I go and I take a look at it and I go, well, I can think of a bunch of reasons, but the biggest one is, is there's a finite number of states in this. <laughs> like they give you six machine states and that's it. They don't give you anything else. So you have to select between I'm, you know, I'm blocked, I'm starved. I'm, you know, I only have these six options and there's no mechanism to add any custom options. So that means my data is only going to be able to pivot along those six possible machine states. And well, I remember when I talked to their architect, I think they were saying that they were going to add that capability in. But what I walked away with on the ThingWorks piece was not so much that it was bad software. I actually thought it was amazing software. The issue was, was that people were trying to use it as a round peg for their square hole. I was going to use that expression. Yep. They, they took... So you have this, what I think of as a development platform with ThingWorks. Yep. Then to bring it to market, they wanted to, instead of selling a con, it's a concept sale to sell a development tool. Yep. So sell a product. So they're going to create a product. So they created three products to start with, uh, to essentially say out of the box, here's functionality, install it, connect it, done. You're good to go. And there, there was one was around production. One was around controls for the controls engineers. And I think another one might've been focused a little bit on maintenance i forget right. it's been a while i think it, i think it was i think it was maintenance it was Something performance like that, monitor yeah. maintenance monitor 
and controls monitor, right? Yeah, Those yeah. Three. and so they develop these tools using ThingWorks, lower point of entry, lower cost or investment, et cetera, get them in place, but they did end up making them very restrictive. Right. And we kept asking us, well, how can you modify this? We'd love to use this, but then let's extend it, modify it, make it more flexible. Nah, didn't happen. It was high, it was high technical debt is the way I said. As the company becomes, yeah. as the organization gets more and more mature, the you the limitations of those thing those tools be creates lots and lots of technical debt. Yeah. So obviously, so then you decide to make a shift, right? So you know you join our community. You, but let me ask you this. So now you've moved to this technology driven strategy. You one of the cool things. By the way, I hear this all the time. It pops up all the time. Is your do you guys call it the DTMA self assessment or mature? I think we call it a micro DTMA. Micro DTMA. So mm -hmm. I hear I've probably heard it from at least a dozen people. Oh, you guys really should check out Ectobox's micro DTMA thing. Nice. Um, so once you made the shift to technology driven versus solution driven, mm -hmm. you know, what has that experience been like? Like, how has your business changed? But you know, what is the what's the experience been like? What have the results been? the people that we hire to do the work are so much more excited to do it because you have this plethora of tools and they can connect with and understand it uh, they don't feel locked into i don't want to become a thingworks developer or i mean one of our senior uh, uh, developers solution architects uh, even from the dotnet days uh, you know said i don't want to repeat what i did in my past career to become a microsoft dynamics crm developer and then i'm locked into this lane forever uh that like frank uh on our team and others like they just love having all these tools at their fingertips to say yeah i can solve that problem yeah i can solve that problem yeah i can solve that problem and they're all really well known good flexible tools uh that's part of it for the for the team for the manufacturers uh the conversations quite honestly are so much easier uh when i can i mean i'm a, a transparent honest kind of person sometimes a little over honest. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if I can say from it was a struggle for me with PTC, uh, again, great people that I've gotten to know there. Uh, uh, and the tool itself is really good. Uh, but if I can't really truly tell uh, a prospective customer, a manufacturer from my heart, I believe in this technology, this is going to work really well for you then uh, it's just, it's not the business for me. It's not the tool, the solution for me. Uh, and when I start to talk about this stuff, I think they start to sense, I've heard this before from people. I have a passion for this and I, I have to apologize. I'm like, I'm sorry, I have to get off the soapbox here. I just get so excited about this, uh, about these solutions. And I start to talk with them about it. They actually say, yeah, I want that. Like I said, that guy two years ago, I can remember. Uh, it just makes sense to them. This whole open architecture, transparent, not proprietary, not big company, not a what I think it was a, a finger puzzle, you know, all the rest. I just well, you said the thing that when we talk about when I talk about selling industry 4.0, I always say all the time, don't sell industry 4.0. Yeah, solve, solve solve problems, right? And the client, the client sells it. The client says to you, I want that, or what it, what's the next step or the, you know that's how you know you've solved their problem at least conceptually yes. because they're asking you what the next step is so don't be asking for the sale don't always be closing don't be doing those things be solving focused on solving problems so it sounds to me like you should be and i and by the way for anybody who's watching this i i know kevin's business i 
I know Kevin as a person, I but I don't know the mechanics. Like I don't know how many who his clients are or anything like that. So it sounds to me like you're probably at that point now where scaling your business is probably the biggest problem, right? I mean, yes. the issue is how do I get enough people who are going to support all the problems I'm solving? Is that is that accurate? That's where you're at right now? Yeah, absolutely. And so half the work that I do in prospecting, uh, quite honestly, and connecting, finding manufacturers we connect with and have the conversation, uh, <clears throat> often enough, I end up connecting with some controls engineers and manufacturing engineers. And, you know, it turns out that they're not able to uh, act on what we're doing, or they already have a solution and nobody in the company is really interested in doing that. <clears throat> but I'll look at their LinkedIn profile, I'll look at their background, and, and I'll think, you know, that person might be pretty good working on our team with us. Uh, and so it's often enough, I've connected with any number of people that are going to be really good for us to work with. And we're just kind of lining them up and maintaining those relationships, bringing them in on a part-time contractor basis to evaluate, figure out if we can work with going through the interview process, of course. Uh, uh, and then we start to bring them in. Uh, yeah, it's scaling is, is uh, a, a big challenge. And that's quite honestly, one of the ways that we're, we're doing it. And the other challenge that we have too, self-imposed, uh, is that we have a vision to create a suite of products for manufacturers that are quite honestly in the MES space, if you will, uh -huh. that are solving a lot of problems for manufacturers. And we uh, think of it like we are creating additional nodes uh, in that ecosystem. And one of the ones that we we have developed now, we are informally, uh, we haven't come up with a real name for it. We're calling it Hank right now, just for a stupid code name. <laughs> But it is based on the theory of constraints, drum buffer rope for discrete manufacturers, production scheduling, and get it to connect in to the unified namespace data broker, pull data from the ERP system, and then provide it to the plant floor, et cetera. It's going to be really interesting. We have a, we're starting to, we're going to be going beta fairly soon and uh, improving and adding on a lot to the product as well. So you've done all this in basically 20 months, right? I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. in, so there are a lot of people in our community, a lot of people who listen to this podcast, I know who are young people who are thinking about doing their own thing at some point, right? Mm -hmm. I want to either want to be a one man shop or I want to, I want to build an integrator or a solutions provider. So any suggestions? So you've done this in, in the 20 months. You, you've owned businesses for a really long time, but this yeah. this venture of yours has been a, you know, we'll just say it's been 20 months and now your biggest problem is scale. The problem isn't viability. The problem isn't, you know, uh, having clients. It doesn't have problems, right? The issue is scale. Any recommendations to people who are looking to do the same step or take start? the same step you did? Where do I start? <laughs> uh, <laughs> The, uh, I mean, I do recognize or think of us as uh, kind of a 20 year startup. We're kind of starting over. And that's a tough, tough question because there are so many different places. Well, I'll, I'll take it back even further because I end up talking with people like, you know, my nephew and, and other people that are earlier in their careers or they're in school still. Uh, and one of the things that I found you may agree or disagree, and that's an interesting topic in and of itself, is uh find an area and become expert in that technical area uh, uh and once you work out that technical expertise and advance in your career a little bit with that technical expertise then you can always lean on that in one regard or other uh, as opposed to walking in and becoming going to a school for communications and then becoming a 
you know, a generalist and everything, and you never really focus, it's hard to really drive a career at that point. And you can pivot multiple times in your career, but you'll always be able to go back to that original expertise. I, and by the way, I agree with you a thousand percent. I, I, I say that you need to be fluent in all layers of the stack, but I didn't, I'd never say you have to be an expert, but you do need to be an expert in something. And what for me in my career, people do ask me this question. There were three things I realized I was an expert at. Number one, my learning curve super short. It takes me three hours to learn what I think it takes most people 30 hours or maybe 30 days to learn. Yeah. Uh, number two, troubleshooting. I'm just a, I'm a, I've always been an elite level troubleshooter. I can find the problem faster than most other people. When it came to a technical skill, it was supervisor control and data acquisition. I could acquire the data, I could model the data, and I could control the process in very, very short time. To, and I became a, a master at building supervisor control and data acquisition, but I did it at scale. That was what my real expertise was, was I could build, instead of area SCADA systems, I was building campus-wide SCADA systems using ISA 101. And so, but then from there, I went and focused on fluency. Beyond that, it was all, okay, now let's start learning everything. So I agree with you a thousand percent on that piece. Yeah, um, Cheryl, uh, Cheryl, to your comment, no, we're not gonna use Hank as the go-to-market name for this problem. <laughs> By the way, I like I like the, uh, the Hank name, if I'm being honest with you. Oh boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, right. To yeah. a couple of thoughts to to answer your question. One of them is when you're work when you're connecting with, with, well, <laughs> have your message down really clearly as to what you are or who you are and yeah. what you do. Work on that thirty second commercial. Really understand it. Be able to just zip it out there. We're a manufacturing intelligence solutions company, and we work with manufacturers to help them solve problems around downtime, uh, production. Uh, and uh, quality issues. And typically we're working with people in the manufacturing, or excuse me, in the operations department with a company to solve those problems. Is there anything there that uh, sounds familiar to you, you wanna talk about? Like just nail it and know it uh, and stick to that expertise, stick to that, that capability. That's one of the first things. If you can communicate clearly and effectively and not take five minutes to explain to your prospect what you do, yep. you'll have their attention. The second one is, I mean, there's so many things, but these are things that I see a lot of people really miss. The second one is ask questions. You have two ears, one mouth. Use them in that proportion. The Socratic method, the Socratic, Socratic method is the path. It's the path to enlightenment. It, it, even even when you're talking with clients, it's the path to enlightenment. Um, yeah, it's it, that, at that point, you, what you do, <clears throat> what are your challenges? Tell me a little bit more. Tell me a little bit more. Oh, well then, okay, now that I understand what your challenges are and we've almost gotten to five whys in that process, well, here's what we do and here, you know, does this make sense? Does this, does this fit? Uh, and then you go from there. Yeah. Here, here's a, I, I'm actually going to switch to, uh, you guys don't remember, I answered to follow up on your point here. I think this will help drive home. Um, Richard Shaw asked a few weeks ago, he said, hey, I'm looking for ideas for a single bullet digital transformation strategy just for the executive level, level, nothing too technical. And when I originally answered the question, what I said was I just gave him example digital strategy statements because I needed clarification on what he meant by what is a single bullet strategy, right? You know, and so the answer was the, the basic digital strategy statement that you want to ask a customer, what, you know, what's your digital strategy? And they go, I don't know what that is. And you say, here's an example of a digital strategy. It's 
we use accurate unified digital data and information to drive decision making quickly and in real time. And then there, and then I gave the follow up, the more expansive answer. But one of the things that I wanted to point out was this. One of the things that you want to understand from an organization when you're talking to people, they they when you're talking to an organization, they want to know what you're about. They want to know what you're great at. They don't want to know they don't want you to be everything to everyone, which by the way, I think it, to your point, if it takes you five minutes to explain what you do, you're trying to be everything to everyone, Yeah. right? You're trying not to paint yourself in a corner. I was getting a haircut last night and, um, the, and it was a different barber cutting my hair and she was young. Your hair always looks good. I will <laughs> tell you. Your hair always looks good. <laughs> Thank you. She, she was cutting my hair and, and, and she was, and it was the first time she ever cut my hair. So I showed her. I said, oh, the way I get my hair done, I actually showed her a screenshot from one of our YouTube videos. I said, that's how I get it done because I don't actually take a lot of pictures of myself. And she said, oh, do you do digital media? And I said, yeah. And she said, are you on Twitch? And I said, no, but that's actually a great idea. I think we're going to be doing, we should do live streams of development, like eight hour long live streams of development on Twitch, right? Programming. Literally just go through it and develop all day and just stream it, you know, and, and, and I think that would be incredibly valuable to the community, right? Huge. But she asked me about YouTube. She said, how did you get into that? And I said, you know, there was somebody who told me early on, I got really lucky. They, and I think it was Zach who actually told me this, but he, they basically said this, you, you don't just pick a subject you're going to cover. You're not, there's not some subject matter you're going to cover on YouTube. You're going to cover a subset of that subject matter. Yeah. And so for her, for this, this bartender I, or um, barber, I said, so if you were going to make YouTube videos of you cutting hair, it wouldn't just be you cutting all types of hair. You might make a YouTube channel where you're only cutting the hair of people who have really thin hair, or you're only cutting the hair of the people who have really, really thick hair. Or, and she goes, well, maybe fades. I could do a YouTube channel on just the different types of fades, low fade, high fade, mid fade, blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, exactly. When you're doing content, your content needs to be hyper, hyper specific. So our content is exclusively industry 4.0, digital transformation in technology driven architectures. That's it. We don't cover content in any other area. It's just that, that's super hyper focused content. Same thing, anybody else who's getting into integration, right? So if you're going to communicate in 30 seconds what it is you do, it needs to be hyper, hyper focused. I think the future of systems integration is hyper specialization, not generalist. So it's Ectobox is who I'm calling for, uh, Ectobox is when I'm, who's who I'm calling for these three elements of manufacturing execution. Right. Uh, GIS is who I'm calling for, like GIS's expertise, the guys in Ireland, their expertise isn't just life sciences. Their real expertise is printing, you know, for compliance and regulation on finished life sciences products. Like that's their real hyper, hyper expertise, just the printing barcodes and that kind of stuff and serial numbers and all that jazz. I think the future of systems integration is hyper specialization not generalism. The riches are in the niches is the expression that I use a lot. And that's that's great for the people who are are starting up and very true. <clears throat> and it comes out a lot in the discussions that I hear 
that Dave Schultz and I have and you have with Dave Schultz and you know, other people like this part of the the definition of industry 4.0 is uh, that we all work together. Uh, manufacturers are becoming more and more used to working with partners because they need to. And uh, systems integrators should become more and more used to bringing in the experts like uh, and you might even be here and I'm forgetting his name now, Josh and Austin, I think, who is the extreme uh, guy in uh, cybersecurity uh, and networking. Yep. Bring him in on jobs. Bring them in on projects. Well, it's, it's right now we're doing on the Intellic integration side, we have two really huge customers. One is in electrical vehicle technology, not Tesla. I'm not talking about Tesla there, but one is in electrical vehicle technology. The other one's in um, food and beverage bakeries, right? The, the court, the, the team that is digitally transforming the bakery is the same team that's digitally transforming the electric vehicle manufacturer. And they're made up of multiple integrators. So you have our role in that is literally agnostic architecture and, um, and, 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 uh, solution architecture. That's it. We're not doing, we're doing very little development. It's where the checkpoint and the other integrators are, their expertise is in very specific niches in the implementation. So it's multiple integrators for two completely different organizations, right? And we're all collaborating together and all the integrators, they report through our team. So our project lead is the lead, but we all operate as a single unit. It wasn't manpower that drove that. It wasn't a need for manpower because we could have sourced, we could have supplied all the engineers. They could have supplied all the engineers that needed. It was expertise. It was this integrator is the expert at this. This integrator is the expert at that. We're the expert at this. And we built a team of experts in multiple organizations. So uh, no, it's in, it's bus technology, Brian Priby. Um, it's, it's electric buses. Um, all right, real, I, real quick, I wanted to, before we get into our other questions I'm going to answer, I wanted to follow, I want to finish this thing with uh, um, Richard Shaw. When I ask an organization about digital strategy, so when you were saying, how do I make the pitch to the executive? So Richard was, I'm looking for ideas for a single bullet digital transformation strategy just for the executive level, nothing too technical. I want you to read this. Okay, this is what you should do. Let me back up. I had a meeting with a huge OEM last week, I think. Some senior uh, executives came, flew into Dallas and I, we had lunch with them and they're a huge automation OEM. And I had told them that during the course of the conversation, I was saying, you know, I never thought I'd be having this conversation with you guys because we had written you off for dead. I actually had you on our whiteboard of companies that are going to die. And, and the senior executive said to me, and I didn't mean they were literally going to die, but their automation division, I thought would. And the senior executives said to me, why is that? And I said, leadership. It's a, it, you know, digital transformation requires transformative and disruptive leadership. And I don't feel like your organization has that. So, and I haven't met the person and I've, I've talked to dozens and dozens and dozens of senior leaders in your organization. And it's really more, you guys have a continuous improvement mindset. You don't have an innovation mindset and digital transformation centered around innovation, Kaikaku, right? So 
what I, uh, that's a good question. Engineering reveals. I'll answer that in a second. Here is what transformative leadership looks like. This is what disruptive leadership looks like. So when you are, when you are Richard Shaw, what you're looking for is you want to illustrate this. Okay. This is an example of a, uh, a digital strategy for an organization. Number one, all teams will henceforth expose their data and functionality through service interfaces. Number two, teams must communicate with each other through these interfaces. Number three, there will be no other form of inter-process communication allowed. No direct linking, no direct reads of another team's data store, no shared memory model, no backdoors whatsoever. The only communication allowed is via service interface calls over the network. Number four, it doesn't matter what technology they use, HTTP, Corba, PubSub, custom protocols, doesn't matter. Now, I would argue, don't put the custom protocols piece in there. Number five, all service interfaces, without exception, must be designed from the ground up to be externalizable. Okay, that means people outside the company can use them. That is to say, the team must plan and design to be able to expose the interface to developers in the outside world, no exceptions. Number six, anyone who doesn't do this will be fired. Number seven, thank you. Have a nice day. Okay. <laughs> I talk about the famous Jeff Bezos email from 2002 all the time. That is part of that email. When he listed the digital strategy for AWS, that's what he listed. Richard Shaw, what you want to do is communicate to executive leadership that they have to create something like that because he clearly and concisely states what their digital strategy is, right? And what and, and anybody who reads that knows exactly what the digital strategy is. We're going to share data and information internally the exact same way we share data and information externally. But we're going to start by sharing it internally through service buses. And we're not going to share it any other way. That is a digital strategy, okay? Well, so... Often yeah, describe it in uh, with a lot of companies, <clears throat> especially leadership, is that you know digital strategy is there to uh, help everybody understand that that company is going to recognize the value of data, and then how they're going to recognize the value of data. That's all the further I go in that first conversation about it, <clears throat> and then from there you dig into deeper details. Uh, and I say it's guardrails that and the four rules and all the rest of that. It's guardrails to make decisions, and uh, again, it just clarity in there. You can see it; their eyes open up. CTO of a six or seven plant company last week said, this is what leadership's got to do as part of the process. And you're right. Absolutely. You're right. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll probably only get to one, this one question, because it's fairly mm -hmm. significant. I want Kevin to contribute on this one, which is PJ LeBlanc on June 3rd in the discord server. He, he uh, asked this question. And if anybody else has any other questions I need to answer, I will answer the uh, lean approach matters in digital transformation to engineering reveals. I will answer that at the end. But PJ LeBlanc wrote a thing over a couple of days. He started a thread in Discord and it started with, hey, everyone, perhaps this is covered in the mastermind course, but has anyone laid out, documented the various trade-offs for different approaches to digital transformation as this community will understand that term? Um, it's still a bit fuzzy in my own mind, uh, but at this point, I'm thinking architecture and technology to put it another way, what are the higher level decisions that would be that should be made first so that we can then focus on the particulars? I'm trying to get past the analysis paralysis phase. Okay. And then after a couple of days of conversation, uh, 
Um, he said, hey, D David Schultz, thank you. Cheryl, thank you very much for your comments. There are definitely some strategic things that my company needs to align on. I think we're going to get there. But eventually, we will have to build something. And I'm trying to formulate a framework for evaluating alternatives. Okay. So as you said, Cheryl, there are platforms out there, but it's a bit overwhelming. He says, everyone says they can do it no matter what the it is. We can't pilot everything. I've heard Walker suggest finding a vendor agnostic integration partner, which makes sense, but that just shifts the burden to evaluating potential partners. I'm trying to avoid making decisions based on gut or someone's personal relationships. It might not be completely possible, but I assume folks here have had similar challenges. In any case, I do appreciate the discussion. All right. So this is a very, very common. So I'm going to, in layman's terms, what he's asking is, what are the different ways to approach digital transformation? How do I determine which one's best and who do I trust? That's, that's what he, what he wants to be able to do is create a matrix so that he can compare alternatives and he's looking for help. What should the column names in the matrix be? Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go ahead and answer and then let Kevin chime in here on his experience as well. Okay. So there are really only two ways digital transformation is attempted. Um, I can't think of a third option. So the first one is the solution-centric digital thread. Okay, so digital thread is basically the way 90% of the OEMs out there are trying to do it, which is I create an edge device that creates a triangle from my data. Then I stream that triangle into a data lake in the cloud in my cloud platform, and I store it as a triangle. And then I put an API layer above that data lake that can retrieve the triangle and analyze that triangle. And then I have a UI layer on top of it that can display my triangle. And I have triangles and squares and circles. And, you know, I have these objects I've created beforehand that they all to sort map, map to one another. And I, as the, as the OEM, I own that stack, right? That's Rockwell's Connected Enterprise does this. Uh, Siemens MindSphere, for the most part, does this. Mm -hmm. um, um, Emerson, everyone's approaching it. Solution-centric digital thread. PTC ThingWorks, in many ways, does this, right? Mm -hmm. So, in, not in many ways, in 99% of the ways. The other option is technology-driven, where what I'm doing is I'm, I'm selecting the technology through which all my things are going to communicate, and then I design an architecture for all my smart things to communicate through. Technology-driven in this case, the technology we prefer is MQTT. It doesn't have to be MQTT. It really has to be a broker technology. The minimum technical requirements or the, the pillars of the technology-driven architecture are edge-driven, report-by-exception, lightweight, open architecture. The technology's got to be those four things. Then you can pick your technology. If you pick MQTT, then you write your minimum technical requirements saying everything's got to support MQTT. Maybe it's got to support this, pay, you know, spark plug B, whatever. And then you basically design an architecture for everything to talk to one another through a UNS. Is it that simple? No, there are, but it's mostly that simple. Okay. Those are basically your two options for architectures and technology. Mm -hmm. Everybody who picks the former eventually gets to the latter. They either have to accept the limitations of the former, that is the digital thread, that is it, they can only, in order for the digital thread to work, the, 
the OEM that designs the solution you're purchasing has to account for every possible challenge you will face, every possible solution you'll want to solve, problem you want to solve. Okay, they'll have to, they'll need a specific tool in their toolkit that solves your specific problem, or they have to give you the ability to solve it yourself using like an SDK or whatever. The technology driven approach assumes that we're going to solve only a handful of problems out of the box and the rest of them you're going to solve yourself using the technology. So Kevin Jones, who's providing, you know, this, this box of products that are centered around the most common solutions that get solved in the beginning, right? Scheduling, production, OEE, quality, you know, efficiency. You're providing solutions in a kit that meet these minimum technical requirements that work with the technology driven approach. And then clients keep going after that. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say to back up a little bit, two options, there might be a third and that third is the custom and or discrete. Wow. Yes. That companies will create the custom approach. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. So the solution centric and the custom discrete uh, connections approach are, you know, if companies are doing that, then they don't know any better and I'm not calling them stupid or anything. That's just, right. that's what they know. Uh, but then, like you said, I would agree. Anybody who realizes that's not the way to go, they will eventually land on the technology based. Which is where our, t our YouTube channel came from. What we realized was what was happening was we kept getting hired as companies tried this digital threat approach and ran into a brick wall eventually. And we called that critical mass. When they would hit critical mass, they, they either had to accept the limitations or bust through that wall. They hired us to bust through the wall. And in most cases, we went back to the beginning and we did a DTMA and we designed a different architecture, drew a new vector and started iterating and solving problems. So I don't want to, I want to take it home with PJ. So in the, in the, he, what he wants to do is create a, a, a matrix, right? To either select solutions or to select partners. And so I'm going to tell you why it is you should create the matrix to select the partner and not the solution. Most organizations, most OEM or manufacturers, they have people who are experts at what they do. That is what the manufacturer does. They don't have people who are experts at digital transformation, right? What you need is an architect, one architect, one voice who is looking at the has fluency in the whole stack, who is looking at all the various pieces and architecting a path forward. So a technological architecture, a list of use cases to put in your backlog, problems to solve, and, wh and, and which ones you should do in which order, at least in the first couple of phases, that will create as much time as the shortest time to value as possible. That is get you as much money, as much value out of the money you spend in the beginning as absolutely possible with as little technical debt as possible. That is solve the real problems that provide real financial benefit without you having to redo anything down the road as little as possible down the road. The manufacturers don't have those ex that expertise yet they develop that expertise working with the partner who does have that expertise, right? That's the, so what I would argue to PJ is focus on the partners, not the solutions. Don't create a matrix to pick your solutions, pick your partners first. And I, I want to drive it home with this. When you're evaluating technology, so, and you're creating a matrix and how do I compare this platform with this platform with this platform? And how do I decide which one to buy? When I'm evaluating technology, you're measuring potential technology 
against your minimum technical requirements. Guess who writes your minimum technical requirements? Your partner, <laughs> the, 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 the integrator, the architect who is going to design that very first step in your journey. But when you are evaluating your partners, okay, when you're evaluating the partners you're going to rely on, you're measuring potential vendors against common values and mission. It's not technology. It's what do they believe? What is their mission? And what have they achieved? That is way easier to do than comparing technology based on minimum technical requirements you don't have yet. Okay. Uh, another thought to throw in there too, to be mindful and careful of the analysis paralysis, which I am one to get stuck in, try something. You're not getting married. You're just going out on a date. Yep. And this is why, and I know you and I, we, this resonates with you. I've said the whole time, you know, many times where we've paid for the proof of concept. Me, I've paid for it myself mm -hmm. many, many times where I've, I've said, client, you don't even have to invest anything. Get, give me 12 weeks, give us access to that piece of equipment and we'll pay for the, 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 the proof of concept. And if you like it, you buy it. If you don't, we don't do anything. Mm -hmm. And you guess what? No one has ever not bought the proof of concept ever. Uh, I want to answer engineering reveals question and then take it home. Uh, Kevin, I want you to take us home. So, uh, engineering reveals said, Hey Walker, do you think that the lean approach matters in digital transformation? So this is, this is sort of a gotcha question. Okay. So it, it isn't yes or no. What I'm going to say is, is that taking a continuous improvement approach to digital transformation is highly effective after you've been digitally transforming for a year. But in that first year, it's just like building a business, okay? You're testing what works. You're looking for maximum value in that first year. Think about what lean is. Lean is a, is a hyper-focused incremental improvement of something you already have. Digital transformation is taking what you already have and turning it into something completely different. They are, they're two in, entirely different mindsets. And once you're, you're on that path to creating this new digital smart business, then you can resume lean. But what we tell our customers is we're going to pause continuous improvement here. We're going to hit, we're going to put the pause button on here and we're going to tell all your black belts out there, stop looking at everything in a CI approach and start looking at it from an innovative approach. If I were to start over today, if I were to build the perfect facility from the ground up today, what would it look like? You don't do that with lean. With lean, what you say is, what do I have? What's the immediate problem? And how do I fix that immediate problem based on what I have? Okay. So the answer is yes, but not until a little bit down the road. <laughs> that diagram you've used a, a lot in the past uh, where there's that Kaku event, I think it is. Yep. Uh, I forget where it came from, but yep. it's that step. Uh, it's it's huge. It's lean. Kaikaku, major step transformational change, and then lean CI. And that comes from Toyota. It come, Toyota created that chart, and you basically have the technology S-curve, which is all your lean principles. Mm -hmm. And then what it demonstrates is as you are continuously improving, as you are going through your CI process, you start getting diminishing returns. Okay, you each each improvement yields much lower benefit. And that's where the S curve, the top of the S starts to flatten. 
Yeah. That's when it's time to do Kaikaku, which is groundbreaking innovation. And that's actually hitting pause on CI. You do the groundbreaking innovation and then you resume. And we've kind of reached that point in the market where they, as I well, often, manufacturers need that deeper visibility to stay competitive, grow, et cetera. And Lean's been around for a while. CI has been around for a while. Uh, a lot of companies have to a degree matured, uh, not all, but a lot. And so they need that extra big step in this is the extra big stuff. What I'd love to do, Kevin, I don't know if you'd be open to this. I didn't talk to you about it before, but I would love to uh, demonstrate for the community, maybe using the products that your guys are developing or that you have to demonstrate to the community this concept of having a toolkit of solutions to sell to your customers that fits into a much larger enterprise technology-driven architecture. That would be cool if we could like demo it for the community, if you'd be open to that idea. Open to it, definitely. That'd be fun. Awesome. All right, Kevin, any other parting thoughts before we call it a day? Uh, <clears throat> I, no, I just, when you said, uh, you know, that I would take it home, I was just thinking to myself, what would I say if I were in your shoes? And that's get involved, everyone. Get involved, get into the Discord, subscribe, uh, get active, uh, bring it home for yourself, for your own career, bring it home for your employers or for your own business, if you're creating your own business. Uh, and bring it home for you know the mission that, that you guys have as 4.0 Solutions, which is driving uh, jobs in middle-class America with manufacturing. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Awesome. I appreciate you, brother. Okay. Same. With that, we're going to call it a week, and I, I can't wait to have you back on again. So I love it. It's awesome. Good stuff. Thank, Thank you, everybody. You. Take care, everybody.